Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Hello and welcome back. Last week, we spoke to Dina Powell McCormick, and what a story she has. I love this woman. I think she has so many great things to offer in terms of service and leadership and a lot of great advice for your career. She also said to think of yourself as a mentor in each role you have to help promote the women behind you. That is essential and it will help your success too. So that was a great message. And now my guest this week definitely embodies this important message as a mentor and guide for women of the next generation. You've got one eye on the road and the other looking way ahead on the horizon, trying to make out what you see in the distance as your future. You'll get there, but you need to accept that you can't plan it all out. There will be some twists and turns and a few detours. And when you arrive at your destination, it may not be what you envisioned when you were starting out. The good news is that the journey is not only fun and unpredictable, but it's part of what will help you achieve your goals. Shannon Miller is a seven-time Olympic medalist, the only female athlete inducted into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame twice, both individually and as a team. Shannon has also cemented her place as the most accomplished gymnast, male or female, in U.S. Olympic history. But when I caught up with her, she described herself as a mother, cancer survivor, and someone who has devoted her post-gymnastic career to help empower women to make health and wellness a priority. Shannon, where do we find you today? Where are you recording? I am recording from Florida today. All right. Do you like Florida in the summer? I'm, I love heat. So yes, it's, it is a, it is a different kind of heat, but you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, so you had the extreme hot and cold and here it's just hot. It is just hot. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. So that just for people who might not know you, um, and I'm not a stalker, but I'm a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) So I know a lot of, about your upbringing, I think, but maybe not from your point of view, just from things I've read. So I'd love to hear about how you grew up and how you got involved in gymnastics in the first place. Absolutely. So I grew up in Oklahoma, um, originally from uh, Missouri, but about four to six months old, we moved to Oklahoma for my dad's work. And um, around five years old, uh, my my parents, I think they decided me and my older sister were tearing up the furniture, like a lot of kids our age, and trying to do backflips on our own. And it was just basically scary for them. And so they put us in gymnastics. They had no idea what gymnastics was. I had never seen it. I had never seen the Olympics, didn't know what that was. I just wanted to be like my big sis. That's all I cared about. And 
they called a couple of gyms in the area. We went to the first one that called back and I fell in love. I just right away, right away. I mean, you go into a gym at five years old, you get to jump in foam pits and nobody tells you to stop running or don't jump on that. You just can kind of do anything you want. And it was so much fun. And that really just snowballed for me. I just loved being in the gym. And as a very shy child, I was painfully, painfully shy. Mm. That was where I felt at home. It's where I felt the most confident. I could just go in, I could be focused and learn the next skill. It's really interesting, I think, gymnastics, um, and I know there are other sports like this, but not too many, where um, it's an individual accomplishment, but a team effort. It is. It's very interesting. It's a it's a different dynamic than most sports. You're right. And what I always tell people about that is, you know, when your individual goals and your team goals align, magic happens. So when I go out to compete, whether I'm competing for an individual spot or for the team, if I go out there and get as close at the time to a 10.0 as I possibly can. If I get as close to perfection as I can, I have done my job for me, but also for my team. That's that's what I can do. That's what I can be in control of. And so were you also a good student? I, will, I, I was a bit of a bookworm. I was a pretty good student, but my parents were very um, focused from the very beginning. They reminded me constantly, gymnastics not, is not life. Life is life. Education comes first. So if I wasn't doing well in school, which I don't know that that ever really happened because it never entered my mind that you wouldn't do your homework or anything, because in our household, uh, you you did your homework and you did your best to get good grades. It didn't have to be perfect, but you had to try. And um, so I loved I loved school. Um, and my dad's a, a professor. He's a, a physics and meteorology uh, professor. So we kind of had that education in our family and they just understood from the beginning, education is what's going to carry you through your life. And gymnastics may come and go, but your education is your foundation. When was it clear that you had um, a a special talent that was maybe apart from (laughs) something? When did they realize you were a star? I'm not sure I ever did. I'm not sure my parents really thought so either, but they tell a story Um, That when I was around um, seven or eight years old, we went to visit an uncle in Colorado and I was going stir crazy. I was jumping on his furniture. So they took me to a local gym and begged them to let me just get some of that energy out. And they said, no, because unless you're a national team member, you can't just kind of come into a gym and and train. It can be dangerous. And they said, besides, she doesn't have any skills anyway. She's so young. And here, little me piped up and said, but I have skills. And my parents had never heard me say that to someone else before. So they took me in the gym and said, "Okay, well, let's see what you've got. And I did a couple of skills and the head coach called a bunch of other coaches over and said, wait a second, Mm. um, can she actually train here? And my parents, of course, no, we live in Oklahoma. We don't move for gym. It was just such a foreign thing. But I think that was the moment they realized they needed to kind of think about where I was going to go. Have you stayed in touch with that coach that spotted you? No. That would be neat. Wouldn't that be neat to talk to him? (laughs) That would be very neat. I'm not sure if my parents ever thought about maybe reaching out or not. I'm not sure they really even knew who it was. It was basically, you know, looking at a telephone book and and then where did you do your big training? In Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was in, yeah, I trained in Oklahoma the entire way. I had the same coach from the time I was nine until I finished. (laughs) Yeah. So you, um, the Olympics, um, 
I think, did you just have a reunion with your teammates? We didn't get to have an actual reunion, but it was our 25th anniversary. How can you believe? And so when you think that it's been 25 years, does that surprise you? Because I feel I can remember (laughs) your performances at the Olympics like it was yesterday. It's terrifying to think it's been a quarter of a century. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, it brings back wonderful memories and a lot of us are still in touch, Mm -hmm. which is so nice. Um, And even from my 1992 team, a lot of us are really um, staying in touch quite a bit. And it's been fun to grow up together. You just have that immediate bond, I think, with each other. But to relive some of the memories from uh, the Atlanta Games has been so much fun. And they called you all the Magnificent Seven. (laughs) That's pretty great. It was a great team. It was such a, a great combination of kind of this, uh, the, the younger ones coming up and then us as veterans that we had three on the team from 92. And it was just this amazing, magical combination that all came together that night. Yeah. So did you love watching the Olympics this year? I will say I didn't get to watch as much this year as I normally would. Usually I'm working the Olympics. Usually I'm over at the games, analyst, commentator, or working in some sector. So this year is different. I'm I'm at home. I'm you know trying to figure out the the time zones, and I'm also working my yeah. you know, normal job. I thought it was and hard getting the kids ready for school. So, <laughs> but I've had it on in the background for the most part. Stayed up with gymnastics, of course. And I love the Olympics. I think mainly um, I love the stories that come out. I love the underdog story. I love the story of trial and triumph because I think whether it's through sport or, or, or other people, their inspiration of overcoming challenges, I think it helps all of us because we're all facing obstacles at some point in our life. And it helps us feel like, hey, they can do it. I can do it too. So I love that part of the Olympics. Yeah, I do too. I love it. And in fact, like, that swimmer from the UK that was knitting um, to keep calm. Yes. I thought, I love little things like that. And of course, it's fantastic. there's sacrifices that the that family makes. Just people. <laughs> yeah. And there's sacrifices that the whole family makes in order to um, you know, encourage these dreams. It really is. You know, it's incredible. And I think when you get to you know, 25 years later, like I am, um, you look back and you know, I think I've always been grateful to my parents and um, how they supported me in every way. But I think every year I become more and more grateful, especially as a mom of two, um, incredibly grateful for the lessons that they taught me along the way. Yeah. So uh, one of the things we do on this podcast is just talk about transitions and handling um you know, moving maybe from one thing to the next. And you, you had to, um, you can't do uh, gymnastics forever. Um, just because, (laughs) um, until, until we become robots, that's not going to be possible. So, um, you know, you transition, you go to college and I believe law school. And tell me a little bit about re-identifying yourself after those games. I would say it's a, it's a very challenging time, and it's a, a very difficult time for many athletes, whether that's Olympic, collegiate athletes, professional athletes, and especially when you transition at such a young age. Gymnastics is most of what I had done my entire life. It's really all I, I had no memories other than a time in gymnastics. And I'm very fortunate, as I, as I said, that my parents were very focused on education as well. So I felt like my education was my fallback. That was the the kind of the, the foundation of my life that I could always depend on. So I was taking college courses as I was training for the 96 games uh, part-time, uh, part-time school, full-time training. And, uh, and then I continued on with that afterwards. But I did go through several years of what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Who am I? Who is Shannon Miller without gymnastics? And some of that soul searching and coming to the conclusion and the understanding that 
I actually didn't have to know immediately. I could search it out. I could try things. I could fail. I could fall just like I did on the balance beam and I could get back up and I could try something else. And um, finding out what I didn't want to do was probably as important as finding out what I did. Oh, name some things you didn't want to do. (laughs) Well, I can remember a conversation with my mother where I said, I really don't want to have a nine to five job. And of course, as a, as she worked in banking, so her life was a nine to five job. And I just remember the look on her face and the the conversation about, you know, how dare you not want to put forth the work, you know, haven't we taught you better? And, and, you know, but my, my thought was, I don't want to have just something that I'm supposed to do. I want to find my passion just like I did in gym. And I think once she realized that and kind of, kind of had a better idea of what I wanted to do. Um, she understood that. I mean, I probably work a lot longer hours than that these days, but um, just kind of coming to that conclusion was interesting. I mean, I never imagined I would go around the country speaking to people for a living that I was so shocked. Like who so would have thought that was a job? Who would, I never would have imagined that was actually a job and going mm-hmm. out and helping women think about their health because of gymnastics. I was introduced to this wonderful platform and voice that I got to use to hopefully inspire others to think about their health. And that's not a job that you grow up and, and you go to college and you say, okay, well, you know, sign me up for that. So I, I really do think it's about finding your passion, finding something you enjoy, um, and then really being willing to put in the work each day to make it happen. I think it's interesting, like you are willing to take risk, right? Obviously, you, you aren't afraid to give things a try and maybe fall off the beam or, you know, miss the... Um, bar or something like that. Like you are, have a natural born ability to take risk. But I also wonder about the support system you had, whether your family, um, maybe your teammates and that transition period that, that unconditional love that you had from your parents let you know that it was okay to try a few different things. Is that correct? I really think that was incredibly helpful. And as much as, you know, I kind of am a risk taker in some ways, especially within the confines of gymnastics, I'm not naturally a risk taker. <laughs> I would wrap my children in bubble wrap if I could. <laughs> but they, having that support system, having my parents and and my coaches, my longtime coaches that um, were so supportive in and out of the gym uh, was so essential for me to understand that it was okay to not always succeed. I didn't always have to win. I didn't always have to be perfect. And, and they really started that at a very young age with the idea that, Hey, it's not about gold medals. In fact, I can't ever recall my coach ever talking or my parents. Certainly my coach never talked about gold medals. He never talked about winning. What he talked about was, Hey, you did the work. Now go have some fun, go enjoy this. And I think that helped me as I transitioned to real life and the the many, many challenges that life um, proposes is that, hey, you don't have to be perfect. You can fall and you can fail and you can get back up and try again. And we're here to support you no matter what happens. And my community was the same way. They didn't care if I came home with medals or not. They were always just so happy to see me out there trying. It's great. One thing I thought was interesting, I got to go to the Olympics with President Bush 43 in 2000. Eight in Beijing. And mm-hmm. we went to the opening ceremonies. And I remember this young woman from Israel. Um, she recognized me. She was the president of Israel's, um, Simone Perez's press secretary. And she said, Dana, let's make a pact. We have to cheer for each other because everyone here hates us. I was like, no way. And then the, the um, 
opening ceremony started and the march started of all the teams coming in. And it was so interesting to me to how prideful I felt of our country. And I was so excited to cheer for us. And then when America got booed, I was like, wow, oh my gosh. And then I was watching the medal count this time around. I'm like, we better beat China. We just better. And it was so weird to have this geopolitical um, competitiveness. And I wondered if, if you feel that at all when you're actually competing in the Olympics. I'll have to say I really didn't. Um, you know, of course, I competed in 92 and 96. So we didn't have cell phones and social media and internet, right, basically. Right, right. <laughs> so I had no really outside idea of what was going on um, in the world or I see, really yeah. anywhere. The, the rest it, of us know, were like fighting the Cold War, like the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, and the other thing about um, gymnastics, I think in particular, is you're really not competing against another country or another person. You're competing against the equipment. You're trying to get your highest score. So a lot of these athletes you've grown up with, they've gone through the same things. You've toured with them. You've you, been in competition with them. You get to know them, them a little bit. Yeah. And, and many of them I'm still very good friends with. So it's fun to kind of grow up together. And, and we don't we don't take it too I mean, in gymnastics, we just didn't take it that seriously. It was, you, you found out later. Like I found out I had a rivalry with Kim Zemeskel in 92. I found out that later. And we joke about it. We're like, oh, we're such rivals. Oh, wow. We, we that's no interesting. We were having a rivalry. Do you think it's a lot different now because of social media? In, in, in it maybe in good ways or bad ways? I think there, there are probably some pros and insignificant cons. I think it's a lot for certainly young athletes, but really any athlete to handle um, how every single you know person thinks about them at any given moment 24-7. I think that's hard for anyone, much less someone that has all eyes on them at the games. I, um, I think social media is is so good in some ways in connecting people and so difficult in other ways. Yeah. yeah. We'll be right back with more of this interview after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. I think that um, mental health pressures have been around for a long time. And we are all, as a country, I think, and a, and a, and a human race, better off if we're open about talking about these issues. Um, and I think that a lot of people didn't realize it wasn't necessarily depression or something. It's, it's that if your head is not in the right place and you're twisting upside down three different times and backwards and all different, like you could actually seriously injure yourself um, because if you get lost in the air, right? It's the disorientation. And there is a, a, a separate thing. You know, we talk about mental health, but that's a very, very broad category. And, you know, a mental block specifically in gymnastics, which, you know, everyone now knows the term the twisties is a very specific thing. You go up the air, you get disoriented. You don't know up from down, right from left. You don't know where you are in the air. And that can be devastating if uh, you're doing three twists and two flips and trying to hit the ground and land on your feet. Um, I think whether it's mental health, physical health, anytime we can have open communication and open discussion about our health is a really positive thing. You know, you think back to breast cancer and how it, there used to be a stigma. No one talked about it. And then that changed. And so many women were helped through that change and being able to be open about it. Same thing with ovarian cancer, which is something I'm you know, very involved. Yeah, I wanted with to talk to you about that. Survivor. Yeah. But it's so important. We have to really be, have that open communication. And it can be really hard sometimes. I hope that she feels overall uh, supported. 
Uh, and I think so. Yeah, she has a big smile on her face when she was home and then when she got to the airport and she was here even in Times Square. Um, let's talk about uh, your health. And it was 2011, I believe, um, that your doctor found a cyst on your ovary. Um, you were diagnosed with, a, as I understand it, a very rare form of ovarian cancer. What was that like for you? It was such a weird time. Uh, here I was, I had actually launched my company uh, the summer before uh, in, in 2010, focused on women's health and just helping women make their health a priority and not feeling guilty about it, you know, taking care of everyone else in their life and, and putting themselves to the back burner. And so I was actually doing a radio show um, and it was all about health and wellness. We were covering a lot of the cancer issues as we went into the fall. And I actually had called up, I was so busy and, and things were going so great that I was just, I was constantly working and I called up to cancel my exam to put it off till the next year when, you know, things got quote slower, which they never do. And I thought better of it because in that moment, I realized I wasn't walking the walk. I wasn't doing what I was asking other women to do, which is to make their health a priority. And mm. um, the receptionist said, well, I've actually got an appointment open right now. There was a cancellation early this morning. Can you come over? So I did. And it was that appointment where they found this baseball size cyst on my left ovary. And by January of 2011, I was in surgery to have that removed. And um, diagnosed with ovarian cancer and then went through chemo and all of that. And I'm a, a fairly shy and very, um, I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so for me to make that decision to go out and actually talk about my ovaries uh, <laughs> around the world and to really focus on that was, was kind of a big deal in my mind. But I just kept kept thinking that if I'm going through this, I need other women to understand how important it is to not skip those exams, not skip those screenings. It, it's so important. When I worked for, at the White House, um, the deputy, I'm sorry, I was deputy to Tony Snow, uh, who was uh, going through colon cancer treatments. And mm -hmm. he made me promise him that I would never, ever miss my appointments for any checkup. Um, because he said that um, he got busy and he put off a, an appointment that he should have had, and it was 10 months later. And he said, you know, who knows what, have, what it could have happened. And unfortunately, he passed away in 2008. And so I try mm -hmm. to keep that promise as well. Um, and then when did you have your children then? So I actually had, uh, my son was about 15 months old when wow. I was going through chemo, when I started chemo. Mm. Uh, and because in a lot of the the issues that I had, I just had chalked them up to body after baby, you know, the bloating and the sure. stomach aches and, and different changes going on. So I didn't really take notice of those being red flags for anything. So mm. you know, part of it was going through that. And then we weren't sure if I'd be able to have more children uh, just with the chemo and, sure. and surgery and everything. But in 2013, I had my daughter. Wow. What's her, what are their so, names? Yeah. Rocco and Sterling. They're both named after their great-great-grandfathers. Love that. I love that. That's so great. That's so great. How do you um, stay healthy now? Um, I am really into this 10-minute workout thing you got going on. <laughs> it's so good. And it's I, what I always felt like was sometimes we make it too difficult, right? If we talk about running a marathon, rarely do we get up off the couch because it's such a huge goal. We just don't get started. So yeah, I, but I don't even it. run errands, Shannon. Like I, 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 can't, I do a I'll lot of you. working out and I'll ride my Peloton for hours, but do not ask me to run a block. I would die. I'm, I'm with you. I run, I say as a gymnast, I run 70 feet and that's yes. it. That's all I got. <laughs> I have to sit down. 
Um, I will walk till the day is done, but but running now. But it's so important to be able to have that achievable success, whether it's making sure you grab actual breakfast in the morning, you know, coffee doesn't count, uh, getting that 10 minutes of fitness. If you get 10 minutes of fitness, guess what? You're energized to be more productive. You're doing better. And when you do 10 minutes, guess what? You're really going to want 15 or you're going to want to do 10 minutes at the end of the day. Now you've got 20. Then you go for a walk before dinner. There you go. There's your 30 minutes. You've got this. So I want to make um, being healthy and fit and just doing and being your very best, very achievable for people. And when you make those small changes each day, it adds up to really big benefits. Okay. So, and I think maybe let's just reiterate that for people. You don't have to do all 30 minutes at the same time because sometimes it's hard to find 30 minutes, Yeah, but you can find 10. And there's actually research that shows that working, um, at, at more um, more times throughout the day is actually better than doing it all at once because you're up and moving around more throughout the day and our bodies are designed to move. They were never designed to sit for eight hours at a time. So even getting up every hour from your desk and just walking around, doing a couple calf raises, something that gets the blood flowing is so important and it gets your brain working. Okay, so better. what's it like, so I'm 49. What's um, What's the most important thing I should do every day? Is it... Should you just do something or, I mean, I do a lot of exercise, but I'm like, I'm like, should I be focusing on my triceps or what, what? (laughs) So are you talking just fitness? Yes. Fitness. Um, Just fitness. um, Make sure you're fitting in some weight training. Okay. Um, So important for, for women of our age, we have to really add some weight. Does Pilates count with the reformer or no? Uh, that's debatable. Okay. I'd say go ahead and, and add some weights. It doesn't wow. have to be heavy weights. We're not, you don't have to be a weightlifter, but you need, need to stress your, your bones a little bit. Okay. Okay. Now, one of the things that's so great about gym, gymnasts is the flexibility. What is your key to staying flexible or are you just naturally <laughs> flexible? I, no, I'm actually absolutely not naturally really? flexible. My coach will tell you that I am so not flexible. Wow. Um, it is such um, hard work for me to do that. And I lost a lot of it. I am just, I am the uh, primo example of use it or lose it. <laughs> and so I would say just get some kind of flexibility in every single day and set a timer. That's the worst thing for me is I want to feel like I'm doing something. I want to sweat. I want to be sore the next day. And flexibility doesn't do that for me. I don't get an endorphin rush. So I have to set, you know, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes, just some stretching throughout the day. So I'm a little embarrassed to admit that um, I, <laughs> in a commercial break before you were on Newsroom, I said I was on the University of Denver gymnastics team, but I, did, <laughs> I meant like the junior team when I was a little kid. And then I was on the YMCA team. I think I was on my junior high team until it was clear you should really be on the speech team and not the gymnastics team. And that worked out well for me. So I did that. But I used to be able to, I would just like watch TV in a backbend, you know, like I could do all sorts of things. My dad made me a beam that was in the backyard in Denver and I would just like go outside all the time. I do, um, you know, I would walk, do, what do you call back walkovers? Back walkovers. Yep. That's it. Yep. Okay. So I would do all those things. And then it's sort of like learning any skill. Like I would even say Spanish, right? You don't use it, you lose it. So mm-hmm. More recently in my yoga practice, and I tried again last night, I am focusing on headstands and I'm so embarrassed. I honestly, I could just sit there and watch TV in a handstand, not let alone a headstand. And now I'm having a hard time figuring that out again. I don't know whether it's fear or skill or what, but isn't that strange? 
it's, it's amazing how our bodies and our minds work because usually our mind is so much more powerful than our bodies, but I'll give you a quick, quick tip on okay. handstands and handstands. I, it, my coach told me this early on and I've never forgot it in, in, it's just basically stack your bones, right? You want to stack your bones one on top of each other and feel like you have like a metal rod going from the top of your head to, well, the ceiling <laughs> and, and pull your body up completely straight and you can stay there forever. It's, it's about those really little changes. It's not those big movements. It's I'm going to keep trying. Changes. I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. I am. It's pretty funny. Last night it was raining. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to take this to opportunity to go do another <laughs> headstand attempt. Um, the other thing you and I have in common besides gymnastics, ha ha, just kidding. I am not comparing <laughs> myself to Shannon Miller, everybody. Um, you love dogs? I love dogs. Tell me my more. My dog's right here. <laughs> oh, well, my dog, Rudy, you can't see him, but he's he's here with me. Oh, now he's perking up because he hears his name. Um, I've always been a dog lover. I've had so many dogs, and usually I'm adopting them when they're a little bit older. This one we've had since he was a baby, but he's a, he's a golden doodle. Cute. <laughs> but we've had Swiss Mountain Dogs and Rottweilers and Labs and basically anything I can bring home, I bring home. I love that. And is your husband, is he involved in gymnastics at all? No. No, okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure he knows what any of the skills are. I see, I see, I see. Um, You said you were a bit of a bookworm. Are you still? Always. I don't get as much time to read these days, but I'm, I, I've always been a bookworm. What do you like to read? Right now, I'm just reading a bunch of fiction. I love, me too. I, I can't, I can't get enough. I've had a great reading year, a terrific reading year. Good for you. I'm trying to get back to reading a few more like business or biography books. But at the end of the day, you know, you work all day and it's constant and you yeah. just want to veg. Well, I find that I like the nonfiction on an audiobook mm. that I can listen to while I'm walking, like a podcast. But that's how I get some of my nonfiction under my belt. But when it comes to like my time to read, I read um, this summer, let me tell you, I read um, The Plot in One Day, um, which is a page turner. And I don't know if you, anybody watched The Undoing, but the author of The Undoing wrote The Plot. So I read that. And then I read this weekend. I mean, this is not high literary fiction, I'm going to tell you right now, but it's called Blush. And it takes place on the North Fork. And it's just like a wonderful story. And there's no violence. And there's no, nobody gets murdered. And it's just a lovely story about a family going through some things as they get their winery up and going. Um, but my favorite book of the year, well, I have two, my two favorite books. I'll, I'll give you one nonfiction and one fiction so far this year. Um, fiction, I'm going to say Hamnet. Have you read that? I haven't. Okay, no. put this one on your list. Um, it is basically, I don't want to give too much away, but it's pretty clear, like, it's um, told from a woman's perspective. It actually has to do with the plague um, back in Shakespeare's time. And Shakespeare's son actually died of the plague. And this story is told from the woman's perspective. But you actually, they never say, oh, this was William Shakespeare. It just becomes clear <laughs> that that's who it is. And the book is written so beautifully. I absolutely loved it. And then my, my uh -huh. kids are bookworms. So I'm going to remember these for them too. But the other one that I think that you would love, especially um, you had a huge fan in George H.W. Bush, who was a big fan of yours. Um, the book, um, The Man I Knew, is written by a woman named Jean Becker. She's a good friend of mine. She was his chief of staff for 25 years after they left office when he left in 1993. Oh, wow. And this book is so wonderful, beautiful, funny, make you cry. 
um, <laughs> make you learn. There's so much wisdom. There's great advice in there. There's funny stories, how, his, how he um, parented, how he became basically like a surrogate father for Bill Clinton, even after that very vicious um, election in 1992. Just an incredible book. I can't h- recommend that hi- highly enough. I need I need some some feel good stories. I feel like I've been reading books to prepare me for whether or not and at what point I get my son a, a phone. And so it's all like internet safety and and it's a little much. It's a little heavy. Well, <laughs> so you know what? That's a huge hard. issue, and um, that's a, t- a tough thing to to figure out. I don't envy parents in trying to figure that out. I really don't. It's hard. It's a, it's hard. It's a tough one. But but yes, yeah, so I'm gonna. I've written these down. I've made a list. Good, good, <laughs> Still good. have some fun things to read. Um, so I guess I would, I would like to end by just thinking, when you look out ahead five to 10 years, are there things that you want to do to ac- that you would like to accomplish? Or are you just t- sort of taking it one day at a time? A little bit of both. I think what my cancer journey has taught me is that I can't always live for the future and that goal that's 10 years out. I need to live for today. I need to be present in the moment, especially with my children. Um, there are, you know, five-year, 10-year goals that I have. Some of them are silly. Some of them I won't tell you and they're not public, you know, silly. I, I would love to learn to play the piano. I would love, there's certain things that I just think would be really interesting bucket list items to do. Um, but right now my focus really is women's health and um, motivation and inspiration for others, but primarily helping women make sure that they get to those uh, doctor's am- exams and, and screenings that they need. And, and certainly with regard to cancer awareness, but also heart disease and diabetes, if I can be that one voice, that one little voice in the back of your head that, you know, for one woman, just one woman each day says, you know what, I'm not going to cancel this. I'm not going to postpone. I'm going to go ahead and go in. I would love to be that. It's important that we make our friends do that, right? So it's one thing that messages for all the men out there too. Ovarian cancer affects not just the woman it's happening to, Mm -hmm. but it affects the entire family. 100%. A very good friend of mine um, uh, had that in in San Diego and now he's raising the three on his own and um, Mm -hmm. he's doing a great job, but it's, it's, you're you're right. And um, women are also the ones that make their husbands or their boyfriends go to the doctor. (laughs) We're just basically we, do. we get our family, we get our kids, we gotta get ourselves. Yeah, we're just basically nagging everybody to get it done. Yeah, we're, I'm I'm a really good nag. I'm absolutely wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shannon, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time <laughs> and for all you do to contribute to the well being of women all across the world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Shannon Miller has so much to offer all of us, especially her tenacity, uh, the fact that she didn't start out her life thinking she would be this Olympic gymnast and then is able to achieve all of those amazing accomplishments and then share them with all of us with such humility and grace. I think she's quite amazing and I was grateful to be able to talk to her. And she loves dogs, so that's amazing as well. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'd appreciate it. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.